Well, it's 2020, and uh, I'm excited about this new year and everything that God has for us. Let me tell you, I have resolutions, okay? I have resolutions that I have made. I make resolutions every year. Every year, I make resolutions. Now, I want you to be unashamed. If you've made a resolution already, you've thought about this, you got a resolution, something that you resolved this year will be the reality of your life, or you're going to practice. Raise your hand. Raise your hand with me. Come on, don't be bashful. I want to celebrate you. I want to say good for you. Congratulations. And I'm so glad that Chris was led by the Holy Spirit to say that this morning because I think that there are many of us who have a negative reaction towards having resolutions. The reason why is because we failed at resolutions before. But you and I have a reason to have resolution. You want to know why? Because we have a living hope. Our God is alive and well. Our hope is not just, oh, we hope that things work out for hope's sake. No, our God is alive. And because he lives, he's a change agent. God is constantly transforming. Do you believe that today? Anybody testify that they're not the same person they were a year ago? Right? Come on. Come on. That's the grace of God. And so when we make resolutions, I used to be the kind of person that was down on resolutions. But then I realized that's not faithful to God. Because when I'm making a resolution, I'm actually declaring I have faith, not in myself, but in God, who's a change agent. And I'm saying that I am partnering with him in the changes that he wants to make in my life. Can I get an amen? Because whether you like it or not, you need change in your life. Can I get a witness? Right? Don't, don't, don't elbow your husband or your wife right now. Okay? We all need change. We need change. We need to engage in God's transformation process. And I believe that when God sees your resolutions, that you're going to seek God and you're going to read your word and you're going to be in church and that you're going to be a better father, a better mother, God's saying, yes, let's do this. Let's do this. No one's cheering you on more than God himself. No one is. And so because I have these resolutions, a resolution, a good resolution, is as good as a vision statement if you have no strategy. Right? If you have a resolution but you don't have a plan, the resolution is probably going to fall. So we have to then begin to put a plan out in our resolution. And for me personally, I'm going to share with you just a resolution that I have this year out of the many that I've written down. But that one resolution is that I want to be more discerning this year. I want to learn to hear God's voice better so that I can know him and so that I can serve better. That's my goal. I I want to know God better, and I want to serve better. Those are imperative things to me. I have to grow in that area. And so I'm looking forward to that. So then that means, okay, Carlos, I'm going to park. I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to write it down. I encourage you to write these things down. And then I'm going to put some action steps. What do I need to do in my calendar this year to make room for me to grow in hearing the Lord? What do I need to put on my calendar? What do I need to do different as a pastor? What do I need to do different as a husband, as a father? Where are the places where God is trying to speak to me, but I'm not making room for those things? What are the things that are keeping me from hearing his voice? Right? These are the kind of action steps that I'm going to take in order to grow and see my resolutions bear fruit. Because God is a change agent. He wants, he wants to change, and he wants me to engage with him. And so I'm hoping that you're thinking about that. And today... We've been going, of course, through Matthew chapter 5, verse by verse, and we're going through the portion of Scripture called the Beatitudes, and uh, we're talking about being peacemakers, 
And I got to tell you, I hope that you and I resolve in our minds that in 2020, we're going to be peacemakers. Now, out of the many resolutions that we have, that we make a commitment in our lives and in our hearts that this year will be a year where we will be peacemakers. Our world needs it. Our government needs it. Our jobs need it. Our marriages need it. Our parenting, right? We need to be peacemakers. And here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read and then we're going to pray. Verse 9, just that verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Pray with me. Repeat after me. Father God, I want to be your agent in this world. I want to give peace, to live peace for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I do pray that you reveal to us what it means to be a peacemaker for you. Open up our eye and our eyes and our hearts, oh God, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, here we find the only portion of Scripture that we find the conjunction peacemaker. Of course, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, meaning the person that we should congratulate the person that we should look at and say and aspire to be, the kind of disciple Jesus wants us to be and it's working in our lives so that we could be, the kind of person Jesus says, that's the person that God favors. It's a person who makes peace. They make it. It means it adds that reality that peace doesn't just happen. Peace needs to be made. And sometimes there are enemies to peace peace being made. And one of those enemies is the the idea, oh, let just time run its course. And let's see what time does. And this is really a rabbit trail right now. But when God calls us to make peace, we can't wait for time to run its course. Now let's just dive into this. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What, what What is that about? Now, before we dive into that, let's again refresh ourselves on the reality of peace. When we talk about peace, I think that there's a peace internally and a peace externally that we have to be aware of. When we talk about peace internally, we're talking about being in that place of rest internally because we are no longer governed by fear or death or the slavery thereof, right? So in Jesus Christ, because of what he's done on the cross and because of the Holy Spirit alive in us, working the will of God the Father in us, we have internal peace. We should have it because it's the promise of the Father and it is yours. He's given it to everyone who's put their faith in Christ. So when we talk about internal peace, we're talking about rest within from the tormentors of death and sin because we're no longer slave to those things. Praise the Lord. And when we're talking about external peace, peace that's outside of us, we're talking about living in harmony and in unity with our brothers and our sisters in Christ, learning to honor each other, to support each other, to encourage each other, and to agree to disagree in an honorable way. It also means that we are his agents of peace in a broken world that's lost and doesn't have a moral compass. It means that God has, uh, to, to have external peace, excuse me, um, to, to have external peace or to be about external peace is to be the kind of person to look to add restoration or peace or to add the presence of God wherever you go. There have been times in my life 
praise the Lord for this. There have been times in my life where people have said, you know, when I've walked into really dark places and places where God wasn't really welcome, when, when I've been there, people have said, man, there's something about you. There's a peace and a joy about you. It's really cool. And I'm like, God, I need more of that in my life. I want my life to be marked that way, right? I want external and internal peace. I want peace to be manifest within, but I also want peace to be manifest without, right? Outside of me. I don't want... Now, in light of that reality... As a Christian, I don't want those Jesuses drawing near to him to feel pushed away by me. I'm going to repeat that. I don't want those people that Jesus is drawing near to, when they come close to me, to feel like I'm pushing them away. Those Jesus is being hospitable to, I don't want to be hostile to. When you look at scripture, the Samaritan woman lived in a place where religious, the religious environment was hostile towards her. The sick and disabled, in many ways, they were treated with hostility. The sinners and the drunkards, in many ways, they were treated with hostility. Yet Jesus welcomed them. And it wasn't because he was okay with their sin, but because he saw their broken hearts. And there's something about that's different between me and Jesus, unfortunately. I can't tell people's hearts like Jesus can. And because of that, I have to walk with a level of reverence when I treat and carry on with people. Because I don't know whose hearts are broken, and they still have a facade as if they're not. And whose are those whose hearts are hard? Man, we can have hard hearts in the church. Can I get a witness? So I don't know. So therefore, I have this responsibility, immense responsibility as an agent of peace in this world to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to be hostile when I'm supposed to be hospitable. Lord, I want to make sure that the people you're drawing to yourself are not people that I'm pushing away. Anybody ever met a Christian that pushed you away from Jesus as opposed to push you closer to him? All right, now let's get really honest. Anybody been the Christian that pushed people away from Jesus instead of pushing them closer to him? Come on. So being a peacemaker or peacemakers are those who use their influence to reconcile opposing parties. A person who strives for unity and restoration. My main job in this world your main job in this world, all of us as Christians, is to help people in the process of having a restored relationship with God. That's our business. My number one vision and goal for life is to help people know that they are loved by God, that God has a purpose for them to get them to a place of restoration, right? That's my job. That's what God calls me to be. As a peacemaker, that's what it's about. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Why will they be called sons of God? Why? Number one, because God is the ultimate peacemaker. God is the ultimate peacemaker. Read Ephesians 2, uh, uh, 14 on down. It reads this way. If we go to that scripture, Ephesians uh, 4, 2, 14. I got three, but that's a typo. <laughs> That's why you should bring your Bible. You see the pastor's trying to mess up with your chapters. <laughs> Verse 14 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandment expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. And what does Jesus say? What is Paul saying there to the church? In those times, people were perceived to be a part of two major groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, those who were chosen by God and those who were outside of God's grace and God's goodness and God's favor. But through Jesus Christ, God broke down that division. He destroyed that hostility that existed, and he made the two one. How did he do that? By living a life that honored him, by dying for our sins, by paying the price for our sins, he reconciled the world, in a sense, to God. Second, he was a perfect sacrifice. He was able to do that because he was a, sac- a perfect sacrifice. In that, pa- in that way, peace was made between Jews and Gentiles, not just with each other, because not only now are Jews and Gentiles one, but with God. So Jesus is this ultimate peacemaker who came into this world and he made peace. But how did he make peace? By waging war. Jesus made peace by waging war. Now, who did he wage war against? What did he wage war against? Talk to me. You can talk to me. Give me one word, two words. Come on. Hostility that existed between us and God. The, the religious establishment was in a sense, right, that was keeping us from God. The Bible says that you shut the door from people who want to come into the kingdom. You know? What else? Sin. Death. The enemy of our souls. Christians, can I convince you of this? Can I, it's not the main thing, but it's an important thing. You are in a real spiritual warfare. You have a real enemy. Man, it's time that we go to our homes and grab some oil and start anointing our houses again and believe. There is a spiritual enemy that's trying to rob you of your peace. You are waging war against the enemy. When you fast for 21 days, the enemy's just not going to sit and just let you enjoy that reality. There will be warfare. We have to acknowledge the reality that there is a principality, an enemy that wants to attack us, but greater is he that is in us than him that lives in the world. I'm not telling you so that you can be in fear. I'm telling you so, you, so that we can sober up. Open our eyes to the reality that there's a real enemy. But Jesus did go to war. He went to war against the enemy of our souls. He warred against sin. He warred against the corruption that existed in the religious establishment. He warred against opponents to the will of God. The Jesus of the Bible clearly had spiritual forces and human influences that opposed him. I'm going to repeat that again. The Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible, clearly had opponents, human opponents and spiritual opponents. They opposed him in a sense. He was Lord over all of it, but they opposed his will. God does not keep peace. I want you to get this about God. God never keeps peace with anything outside of his nature. Because that which is outside of his nature is not leading to true peace. Sin, 
oppression, injustice, racism, the innumerable evils that exist in our world, God is not at peace with those things because they're against his nature. Right? So then what is God's answer to all that? You are. You're the answer. How? By loving. How? By serving. How? By being available. How? By saying no to human trafficking. How? By saying no to the opioid crisis. By doing all these things, you say, I'm going to engage in creating peace in my world. Because I am a son, a daughter of the living God. And there's no way that in my city human trafficking is going to happen. No way! It's got to be fight. But there is, in a sense, sometimes this, well, it's the world and it's going to happen. We just got to wait for Jesus. No, sir. No, ma'am. As a peace agent, if Jesus is coming, he better. I want him to find me fighting. I want him to find me going out, right, for the king. I don't want to just, well, I'm just waiting for you, sitting in the corner with my church folk, reaching nothing, impacting no one, changing never. That is not the way of the kingdom. Let us remember that though, uh, even throughout this fast, that this is spiritual warfare, and there is a peace that can be gained only after war, after the war is waged. James chapter 4, verse 1 on down says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's not this, that your passions are at war within you. And I just want to read that. There is a war within with the flesh and the spirit. There's a real war that you and I need to be aware of. So we need to be engaged. So first thing is Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Aren't you thankful that he came to make peace between you and God? That's good news. The second thing is this. There is a difference between keeping the peace and making peace, right? And we know this. I just want to reiterate. There's a difference between keeping peace and making peace. Someone would say that there is a portion of Scripture that teaches us that we ought to keep the peace so that, you know, so they may struggle with this idea of making peace and that sometimes in order to have peace, you got to really go to war spiritually speaking. They struggle with that because Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Let's look at that. It says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. I want you to put in parentheses, if possible. Because that's the deal. If possible, possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. In other words, make sure that you're not the one that's hostile. Make sure that you don't have this wrong attitude towards others. Make sure that you're not causing strife and division and conflict and that you're not gossiping and slandering because that is in itself not the fruit of those who are sons and daughters, right, of the living God. So if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. But there are things that don't depend on me. The human trafficking that exists in our world. The drug problem that exists in our world. Whatever challenges the Lord may put in my heart. Those are things that are happening outside of me. Yet God's called me to be a change agent. Surely there's got to be a way for me to engage that darkness. Right? So if at all possible, I will be at peace with everyone, but there's times where I just cannot be at peace with certain things. Now let's make it even more personal. 
There are times I cannot be at peace with something in my nature that doesn't line up to God's will. I cannot be at peace with sin in my life. Amen? Amen. I cannot be at peace with any form of injustice. Okay, now let's just pause here. With, let's go back. I cannot be at peace with sin in my life. Well, I'm just a gossiper. It's just the way the Lord made me. Uh-uh. Don't blame that on God. That's not his nature. Well, I'm just uh, this or I'm just uh, that. It's just the way. The, no, uh-uh. Uh-uh. The Lord didn't make you that way. That's sinful nature. You need to put that on the cross. Well, it feels right. You know, the heart wants it. Of course it does because our hearts are evil by nature, all of our hearts. Right? That's what the Bible says. So anyways, I cannot be at peace with sin, which means that I have to declare war against it in my life. I cannot be at peace with any form of injustice in my life or outside of me. I cannot be at peace with compromise. I cannot be at peace with compromise. Right? Because it affects me and it affects the rest of my family. I want you to just think for a moment of of Abraham and the sin of compromise. When he chose to listen to his wife, be with his wife's servant, and have a child named Ishmael, he thought, well, you know, maybe this is a good alternative, you know, for, for God's will. And he compromised. And that compromise is a compromise this world is still struggling with. Do you think Abraham knew that? That compromise will have that kind of ramification on the world? He had no idea. You know what I find is that I was, as I was studying that, it just, the Holy Spirit just hit me. And what makes you think your compromise doesn't have that effect? So I cannot be at peace with compromise in me. I got to bring it before the Lord. I cannot be at peace with half-truth. I cannot be at peace with half-truth. What does the Bible say? The enemy, when he lied to Adam and Eve, he declared a half-truth. Right? Sin was brought into our Eden, into the world that God intended through a half-truth. So as a believer, I cannot pacify myself with, well, you know, it's kind of true when I squint. That dish, the dishes are clean when you just kind of pull back. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, my God, that's how I do dishes. My goodness. <laughs> I cannot be comfortable with half truth. Cannot be at peace with half truth. And I cannot be at peace with lack of character in my life. I cannot be at peace with lack of character in my life. It's going to affect everything around me, everyone around me. If we keep peace, instead of engage in peace, in peacemaking in our homes, we are not honoring God. Let me repeat that. If we keep peace, instead of engaging in peacemaking in our homes, we're not honoring God. In our workplace, we're not honoring God. I'm not supposed to keep peace with sin and wrong stuff and people doing stuff that doesn't honor God. No, I'm supposed to encourage. I'm supposed to make peace. Try to figure out a way with the grace of God and with the gentleness that God calls me to walk in and meekness to encourage a different kind of behavior, right? No matter where I go, make sure that as much as it's possible within me that I do something, but also that not just sit by while injustices are taking place, right? Okay. If we keep peace instead of engaging peace, we're not honoring God. 
If we keep peace with violence and those who promote violence, we're not honoring God. Listen, if I may, I want you to hear this from the right heart. I am not making a political stance on anything. I am speaking about only a person at this moment. The individual named Qasem Soleimani, who was recently assassinated in one of our army's attack, was a well-known terrorist that was recognized as a terrorist before this administration, who had killed at least 600 American lives, and who had weaponized several rogue groups to fight against America. And some would say, the news would say, and I think it's a prime example for this, it's the wrong thing to do. Now we have a real enemy that's going to fight against us. What made you think that they weren't real enemies? You know, they're real enemies anyways. And sometimes, okay, why am I using that example? I'm going to talk, I'm, this is why I'm using it. Because sometimes there are people in our lives who bring destruction all around us and we just keep quiet and we keep quiet and we keep quiet and we keep quiet and we don't do anything about it. We're just, you know, we don't do anything about it because we're like, we're not, we, we don't want to wake up the bear and, and have the bear do, the bear is causing destruction. How many more people will the bear destroy before you stand up? For he who knows, the Bible says, what is good and does not do it, to him it's a sin. Right? There is a consequence to being peacemakers. That means that you're going to have real enemies. That means that some people, bullies don't like peacemakers. They just don't. And spiritually, that's the reality as well. When you begin to declare war against sin and against the devil and against his plan for your life, of course he's going to rise up and he's going to try to attack you. But he's already defeated. You start from the place of victory. That sucker lost a long time ago. Praise God. But in order for us to engage in the victory, we got to start fighting. We got to start making peace. I'm going to say it again as we come close to a close. There's a peace that can only be gained after waging war. Peace, we're going to close with this point. Peace, tell them I'm still preaching. <laughs> peace cannot manifest through you if it isn't residing within you. <laughs> well, actually, I was just at a gathering where I was doing a Bible study and my phone started ringing. I was like, what is going on? I rebuke that. No. So it's, just, it's all in joke. So, uh, hey, listen, let me just say this. Peace cannot manifest through us if it doesn't first live within us. Let me repeat that again. I cannot be an agent of God's peace in the world that I am engaged in if I first don't have that peace within. Jesus, let me be clear. Jesus has done everything that is needed to be done for you and I to be reconciled to God. His power is victorious over every sin. His blood is able to cleanse you of every sin that you've ever committed. However, we need to engage in the transformation process by saying, yes, I receive it. I need a savior. I received that gift. Now teach me how to live it. My daughters are learning to play guitar and the cello right now. Well, we're, we're renting the cello, right? Because those things are expensive. 
But the guitar is in the home. It's basically theirs to use, right? But just because they have the guitar doesn't mean like they, they play like Tony Ramirez, <laughs> right? Is Tony still here? There he is. With that magnificent hair of his. You know, it's like sometimes we're sitting here and Tony starts playing and Laura's like, yeah, why don't you do that? He's like, oh, yeah. It's like, and my guitar just looks at me like, why do you even touch me? Just give me to Tony. Release me to my full potential. To somebody else. You're never going to get there. No, I'm just kidding. Guitar doesn't say all that. So Tony's a gifted musician. He is skilled. It took time to develop that gift. It took time to develop, develop the grace that he has to play that instrument. And so with every musician up here, it takes time to do those things. In the same way God has given you salvation, the same way God has given you his Holy Spirit, the same way God has given you peace, God has given you joy, God has given you everything that you need for life and righteousness. You got the best of it. God gives the best of it. The thing is, now you got to pick up that Taylor guitar. You got to pick up that Martin. You got to pick up that guitar, those gifts that God has given you, and you got to learn to operate in them. Does that make sense? They're yours whether you're putting the time that you need to put in it so that you can grow in it. Would you stand with me today? Praise God. Amen. Amen. Bless God. Bless God.